Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Right now in Phoenixville, let's make as much noise as we can while we welcome Montgomeryville. If you're at Montgomeryville, go ahead, there you go. If you're at Montgomeryville, make some noise back at us. Let us know you're happy to be in church today. If you're online, just read the room. Situationally appropriate, make as much noise as you're allowed to, wherever you're watching from. But listen, I'm excited to be here today, but before we get uh, really into what we're going to talk about, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page with something that's happening next week. Next week, we are changing our experience times. That starts next week, December 4th. We're going to have three experiences still at Phoenixville, two experiences still at Montgomeryville, one experience still online, but the times are going to be different. The first experience at Phoenixville is going to be at 8 o'clock. You guys don't have to worry about that one. The one you do have to worry about is the second experience that's at Montgomeryville, or here and at Montgomeryville and online. That's going to be at 9.30 instead of 9.45. I know some of y'all have a hard time getting here at 9.45 anyway. So just set your alarm probably 20 minutes earlier to be safe, right? So 9.30 is our second experience. That one will go online. And then 11 o'clock will still be our third experience at Phoenixville and at Montgomeryville. So those times are changing. Next week, please don't forget, please show up on time. If you do come at your normal time, just grab some coffee and kick it and wait until the next experience. You'll have time, right? So next week, we're also starting our Christmas sermon series. It's going to go a couple weeks, and it's going to take us right into Christmas Eve. You saw it in church news. Uh, We have a couple experiences on Friday night and a couple experiences on Saturday morning. I told the last experience, we just started practicing for Christmas this past week, and we can confirm it doesn't suck. Like sometimes you make a plan, and you plan that it's going to be good, but you don't really know that it's going to be good until you see it in action. And so we know that this one's going to be A-OK. So definitely want to get your tickets free tickets. You just got to reserve it so we know how many people are going to be here. So you definitely want to be part of that. My name is Taylor, uh, and I get to take us into this week, the last week of our sermon series called Church for the Ill. Now, a sermon series, for anybody who's not familiar with the term, maybe you don't grow up in church or you've not been coming here for a while, we preach in what's called series, and it's just we talk about kind of the same concept for a couple weeks at a time. And so this you know, series we've been doing is called Church for the Ill. It's, we're basically talking about the idea that we believe is true about the church, that church is for people who are broken, not for people who are perfect. That church is a place where people who are full of shame, who come from awful pasts, belong, not just should be accepted, but should belong to, right? We take this from the book of Matthew in chapter 9. In verse 12, it says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the Bible says that church is supposed to be a hospital for the sick, not a club for the healthy. Church is a place for broken people to come and be made new in Christ, not a place for perfect religious people to come and hang out and talk amongst themselves. But I don't think Satan wants you to believe that. I think that Satan uh, would have you believe otherwise. And so he's, he's, he's put some lies into your thoughts and into our minds and our culture and even some of our churches that seeks to keep you out of church, seeks to keep you from being comfortable when you are in church. 
And it's the, one of those lies that we're going to attack today. And it's important because I think some of you right now are probably believing the lie. You're, you're, you're buying what's being sold right now. And I think you came in today and you pulled in the parking lot and somebody uh, dressed well with a fancy flashy wand told you where to park. And then you walked in and somebody walked you in and they were so friendly and well-spoken and well put together. And everybody was just making you feel so welcome on your way in. You passed your kids off to Journey Kids. And it was such an official, nice, like secure process. And you're in here worshiping and the person next to you has got their arms up during worship and their eyes eyes are closed, but they're still singing the song. So, you know, they actually know the words and they sat down for the sermon. And before the people in church news even said to pull out your phone, they got their phone out. They got the notes up. Like you see all the stuff happening around you. And I think the lie that some of you may be believing is that these people have it all together. Yeah, this is a place full of people who know what's going on, place of people who have never done anything wrong in their lives, place of full of people who are in church, from church, and just have been church for their whole lives. And I want to challenge that. I want to challenge that thought and remind you, again, that is a lie from hell. The reality is that the people in this place don't have it together. The people in this place are being held together through a good and righteous God. And that's one of the most important things that you can understand about church at all. These are not perfect people. The worst thing that you can think about church is that you don't belong here for any reason, anything that you could have done, right? And so what I want to do today, we're going to look at the life of somebody in the Bible who really been through it. And we're going to use that as an example of why church is a place for broken people just like you and just like me. Now, Ian introduced us to... This person, this lady that we're going to talk about today, he introduced us to her last week. You may know her as Seven Shades of Crazy. Her real name, her government name is Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdalene or whatever, right? So Mary Magdalene, Magdalene's not her last name. It's like about where she's from. You know when you, like, you know too many people with the same name and you, they all got nicknames? That's Mary Magdalene. So this is Magdalene. So she is arguably the most important female character in the Bible, Right, I was reading an article about her this week, and uh, this person who wrote the article said, um, just threw some facts out there. So she's mentioned by name in all four Gospels 12 times, and that's more than any other woman in the Bible and more than most of the male apostles, right? So it's a pretty big deal. She comes up a lot. Matthew and John in both of their Gospels, they both mention that when Jesus died, was buried, and, and rose from the dead, when he resurrected, Mary Magdalene is the first person that he revealed himself to right? That, that's a big deal. She, he, she is the first person, right? And more than that, he commissions her then to go and tell all the gospel or all the apostles and all the disciples about him. You know what I mean? And to me, that's a really big deal. That's like among the biggest deals that we got going on here, right? Because I feel at least when I'm given really good news that I get to tell somebody, like it gets to come from me. To me, that's a, that's a big deal right? And maybe it shouldn't be, but it is, right? So uh, if you didn't know, everybody in this church is pregnant right now. So if, you're, uh, if you are married or you are a, a woman in this place and you don't want to have a baby, probably don't drink from the water fountains. Don't drink the coffee. You know what I mean? Use the hair dryer. Don't use the paper. It's like, I don't know what it is, but just be safe. Play safe, y'all. So anyway, my wife and I have a, a, a friend, a set of friends who, who are pregnant. They're expecting literally any day now. I joked that I was going to come up here and yell and see if I could you know, get her to go into labor, but I haven't done that yet. Just keep, keep your ears out. 
So they're having a baby pretty soon, and when they found out the gender, they wanted to do a gender reveal. So they bought the little smoke cannons. There's blue ones and there's pink ones, and they had the results. And they didn't want to look at it. They wanted to know, like, from the reveal. So my wife and I went over one day after work, and we looked at the results, and, you know, we, we made sure that we got the right cannons, every, you know, everything set up for them, right? And so for me, it was the biggest deal in the world, and I was, like, militant about it. Like, I was like, all right, you stand on that side of the porch. I'm standing on this side of the porch. You got the blue ones. I got the pink ones. Confirm. Blue. Confirm. Pink. Okay, I put that stickers on them. You're still blue. She's like, yes. I'm like, all right, so when we put these back, are those still blue? She's like, yes. I'm like, okay, go get in the car with them. Are they still blue? Like, I was heavy about it because, to me, that was a really big deal. And so Mary gets to take this amazing news that Christ has defeated death and the grave and hell, and she gets to go and deliver that to people. So you can kind of, you can kind of get on board with the idea that, that she's a pretty big deal. But when we first meet Mary in the Bible, when she first comes up to us in the book of Luke, you may not really see that coming. See, when we meet her in Luke, it says this in chapter 8. It said, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Mary is doing awesome stuff in the Bible, and she's a big deal. But she has a past. Her story is a lot more complicated than her highlight reel would really lead you to believe. And I think that if she was here today and she had the opportunity to speak to us, I think there are a few things she would want us to know. And so the title of today's message is Mary Would Want You to Know. And this is uh, secretly, this is the title of the message because every year for Christmas, it's Christmas time now. If you like to complain about Christmas music prior to Thanksgiving, you don't have to anymore. Don't worry. This is our time now. So... <laughs> I love it. And so every year for Christmas, Bella and I always lobby for the song, Mary, Did You Know? And every year we are informed that nobody likes that song except for us. So I can pretty much promise we'll never do that song for Christmas, but I can make my sermon title pretty close to it. That's about as much as I'm ever going to get, right? So Mary would want you to know. And I think the first thing that Mary would want for us to know if she had to speak to us was that it hasn't always been this way. Yeah, she's doing really cool things. Her life looks good right now, but it hasn't always been this way. See, I feel like we have a tendency sometimes to see things as they are and to assume that's how they've always been. But a lot of times that's not true. You see, this room right now, if you were in this room here at Phoenixville and if you're at Montgomeryville, you saw pictures of it, you know kind of what this room looks like right now. Uh, if you were here six months ago, you know that this is not what this room always looked like. Even six months ago, it wasn't. Six months ago, this room was about half the size. The back wall was made out of plywood and trash bags, for the most part. There was a thin film of construction dust all over everything. It just didn't look like this. But if you came in here today or in the past couple of weeks, you may assume, rightfully so, that it's just always looked like this. We do that all the time. I was thinking about it this morning. Uh, my, I started coming to Journey in 2014. 
in my first week serving, I was playing bass and I was right over here on the stage. Camera team, you already know what's coming. So I was over here. This is about as big as the stage was. It came out to right about here and from here and back, right? So I was over here in this corner and I had my bass and the stage looked different. It was smaller. It was gray carpet. There was an exposed front and sides. You could see the like legs of the stage and it's all crazy looking because it's a portable stage. And so I'm, I'm, I'm over here and we're practicing and I don't know any of my parts. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be ready. I'm absolutely not ready. I was so bad that God himself sent a storm. Literally, I'm not making this up. God sent a storm to knock out the power of this building (laughs) so that we had to take everybody over to Limerick and listen to their worship team who actually knew what they were doing, right? And so I may get to stand up here and talk to you about Jesus a little bit here and there, but this is absolutely not how it started, right? When we first meet Mary, I think we can kind of have that assumption about her that, man, she's doing all these cool things, like Jesus is showing himself to her and all this kind of stuff. Like, man, she really must have it going on. Like, she must have it together. And she is. Like, she's top tier at that point. She's crushing it. But she didn't start there. Does anybody remember when the right Reverend Bishop Drake said, I like a woman with a future and a past? There's only a couple of you that knew that. I'm actually proud of you. A couple of you do need to probably go home and pray about it, but that's good. So Drake, Drake is, a, is a musician for anybody who doesn't know. And he had a song where he said, I like a woman with a future and a past. And I think he would have liked Mary because she definitely has a future. She does big things. But it didn't start that way. She has a past behind her. Let's look at where we're introduced to her and how it's worded, right? It says this, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Seven demons had come out of Mary. She had at one point in her life been possessed by seven demons. And there's two things that I want to make a note of there. And the first is this. The Bible doesn't tell us what that looked like for her life. The Bible doesn't tell us how that affected her being possessed by those demons. What toll that had on her physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and mentally. But the Bible does tell us a couple different instances of people being possessed by a demon. And it was always awful. All right, one person was possessed by a demon and caused to have violent seizures to the point of injuring themselves. Another person was possessed by a demon and caused to be entirely mute. They couldn't make any noise. There was another young boy who was possessed by a demon, and he was caused to throw himself constantly into fires and water in an attempt to kill himself. And those people were all possessed by one demon, and Mary is possessed by seven And so we don't know what that looked like in her life, but I think it's safe for us to assume that her life was about as close to hell as you can get without actually being there. And the other thing that I want to point out is this. There is no reason for Mary to think that her life will ever be anything different. You see, nothing is in the Bible on accident. Any number, any word, any way things are worded, it's all significant in the word of God. And so when the Bible tells us that there are seven demons, that's significant. And it's significant because the number seven, wherever that shows up in the Bible, it represents completion. It represents fullness. It represents wholeness, right? You can read, look up articles about it from people way smarter than me who are better at explaining things. But a couple examples, God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested because on the seventh day his work was complete. Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? And Jesus told Peter, the number of times you are to forgive somebody is 70 times 7. Now, I checked with our resident math teacher last experience, and that equals 490. And 
Jesus is not telling Peter, you need to forgive somebody 490 times, but that 491th time, it's on. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is 70 times seven. He's saying forgiveness is eternal. Forgiveness is forever. You have to just forgive. And so the Bible is telling us by telling us that Mary is possessed by these seven demons, the Bible is telling us that this was her life forever. Her story was written. It was done. It was over. This was how she was always going to be. This is the completeness of who she was and the fullness of who she would forever be. And outside of Jesus, it would have been right. But God showed up. Jesus stepped in and he changed things in her life, which is what Jesus does. And this is good news for us. And it's important for us to remember because I think a lot of us and probably a lot of you come into church assuming that the people around you have it all together. And what's more, assume that people have had it all together all along. These people grew up in church and these people have never done anything wrong and nobody has a past like I do and nobody's done the things that I've done. Nobody's made the decisions that I've made. I don't belong here. I think that is, is, is the epitome of the lie that Satan is trying to tell you, that you don't belong here. Because the reality is, the truth is, God may have done some things in this room, and that's really cool, the room that we get to have now, and the campuses, and the gear, and all of that. I may get to serve in a different position, which is cool for me sometimes, but the trueness and the fullness And the goodness of what God is doing in this church exceeds anything that he's doing physically in these buildings. He's changing people's lives around every week. And so somebody today probably got greeted by somebody, a young man with big white smile, just happy to see you. It made you feel warm inside. It cut through the cold and the rain. It cheered you up. It made you feel like you're supposed to be here. That man was so hooked on different drugs that his teeth rotted out of his face. That's why his smile is so white. Those aren't real teeth. But God stepped into his life and he changed him. And what you saw today is a work of God and a work of grace. Some of y'all maybe saw a, a young man dropping his child off in Journey Kids this morning. And you thought, man, that dude is crushing the dad game. He's killing it. He's, he's loving. He's present. He's here. He's affectionate. He's like, he is the type of dad that I want to be, or he's the type of dad that I want my husband to be, or whatever it is for you. You maybe saw that. What you maybe don't know is that 13 months ago, that person overdosed on drugs. They were put in rehab. They didn't have a job. They didn't have any visitation rights to their child. And that's how their life was just going to go. But God stepped in and he did a work. And what you saw today is the product of grace. There's a married couple that you may have seen today that was worshiping together and, and just they came in together, they dropped their kids off and they're just modeling a great marriage for you. And maybe you want to base your marriage off of that. And that's awesome. And today that's a good idea. But previously they were broken people. They were pissed off. They were healing from various addictions and they were on the verge of divorce. But God got in there on what you see today is a product of what? Of grace. It's a product of grace. And I can joke about, you know, I used to go play bass over there and I sucked and it was whatever, but the reality is I do get to stand here today and, and, and speak to you about the Lord. And that itself is a product 
of grace and grace alone. There's nothing that I've ever done in my life that has made me like capable of doing this because the reality is eight years ago, I couldn't have stood here and looked any of you in the eye. I couldn't have spoken a coherent sentence to you. I was so lost in pornography and abusing alcohol at least three, four, five, six, seven, sometimes eight days a week. But God stepped into my life and he changed me. He took where I was headed and he switched it. You see, this is not how it started for anybody. And there's one more thing I want to point out there. Now, Jesus' ministry on earth lasted about three years, right? He started preaching and everything when he was 30, and he was crucified at age 33. So for three years, his ministry on earth lasted. That means that Mary turned her whole life around in less than three years. Based on where her story is and where this crucifixion is in you know, the different gospel books, she probably turned it around a lot quicker than that. And that's good news for us because it means two things. That means that it is never too late and you don't have to wait. It is never too late for you. It doesn't matter what your life has been like. Remember, Mary lived a complete life of demon possession, of darkness, of mistakes, of sin, of distance from God for her whole life. And in a moment, Jesus turned that around, a complete 180. She went from the exorcist to the boss instantly in a moment with Jesus. It was not too late for her, just like it's not too late for you. And you may be so mired in your own decisions. You may be so far gone that you can't fix yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't get your act together. And that's okay because you don't have to. There's a God who loves you and has a plan for you. And he wants to change you if you just give him that chance. It is not too late for you. More than that, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. I think we have the silliest notion of church where we think that we need to fix ourselves before we can come be part of church. Maybe we'll come and listen, but I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to get baptized. I'm not going to do all these different things because I need to kind of earn my spot. I got to earn my playing time. I think that's ridiculous. And I think we all, myself included, we all believe that sometimes. I think that's just as silly as fixing your own car before you take it to the mechanic. I think it's goofy, like trying to fix your own teeth before you go to the dentist. That's what those places are for. That's what this place is for. That's what the presence of Jesus is for. Because when God saves you, you are saved, period. You don't earn your way to different levels of righteousness. Now, yes, there's things that will change in your life. You'll grow in wisdom. Some of your behaviors will have to change. You'll have to do a little bit of work on your end. But when God saves you, you are saved. You are loved by God as much right now as you will ever be, as you have ever been, as he has ever loved anybody else. And he tells us that in the book of Matthew, he, he, he teaches in stories called parables. And he tells us this parable in Matthew 20 about a landowner who owned a vineyard. And he went out early one morning to hire people to work on his vineyard. And he found some people to work and he said, hey, listen, I will pay you a denarius to come and work in my vineyard all day. And they agreed to it. A denarius would have been a really good day's wage at that point. So they go and they work and the landowner goes back out at nine o'clock and he hires some more people. And he says, you come and work my vineyard for the rest of the day. At the end of the day, I'll pay you what's right. They say, okay, so they go do it. At 12 o'clock, he does the same thing. Three o'clock and at five o'clock, he goes out all those times, hires people, tells them all, at the end of the day, I'll pay you what's right. You just come work in my vineyard. So evening comes 
And he brings everybody in from the field and he's going to pay everybody. And that's where we'll pick up the story here in verse 8. It said, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Now remember, those people have only been working about an hour and a denarius is what he said he was going to pay the people who started working at the beginning of the day. So then in verse 10, so then those, uh, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But the landowner, he answers, he says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Anybody know when somebody calls you friend, they don't mean it? You know what I mean? I'm not being unfair to you, pal, buddy. He says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. He says, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. That is the kingdom of God. Whether you were saved in 1983 or you were saved 83 days ago or you will get saved in 83 minutes from now. God loves you the same. You are just as important to God. You are just as righteous in his eyes when you've accepted Jesus into your heart. You don't have to be there right now because it doesn't start there for anybody. And it won't always, it hasn't always been that way. And I think the second thing that Mary would want us to know is that every saint has a past. Every saint has a past. She would say that it hasn't always been this way for me. I came from some stuff that Jesus had to save me from. And I'm not special in that. There's nothing unique about Mary in that regard. The reality is everybody who follows Jesus has been saved from something. Look at the language we use to talk about following Jesus and being part of the church, right? We say that we're saved. We say that we're found. We say that we've been rescued. What do those words mean? What do they imply? To be saved implies that you were not safe and that somebody acted on your behalf and you were made safe. To be found implies that you were at one point lost, and something happened on your behalf and you are now found. To be rescued, same thing, means you were in danger and now you've been rescued from that danger. Like everybody comes from something. The heroes of the Bible that we read about, they all come from something. Just look, look, look at a quick list real quick. So Samson, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. I uh, had a whole sermon series about him. He was a partier, he was a womanizer, and he was super arrogant. Moses killed a man in cold blood and he ran away and God came to call him to come and save his people. And Moses said, no, he denied God and he doubted God's goodness and his judgment and his wisdom for choosing Moses at all because Moses had a stutter. Noah was a drunk. David was overlooked and forgotten in his own family. And he kills Goliath and he becomes a king. And one day he has an affair with his best friend's wife. And she gets pregnant because of it. And then he has his best friend murdered to cover up that affair. Paul hunted down Christians like animals before he met Christ. Hunted down Christians like animals to kill them, to stone them, or to put them in jail. 
Peter had anger issues. And we'll talk about anger issues a lot. But he had anger issues so severely that right in front of Jesus, he sliced a man's ear off with a sword. Everybody has a past. Everybody comes from something. Jesus doesn't use perfect people. Because if he only used perfect people, he wouldn't have anybody to use. And so I want to ask you right now, you don't say it out loud, but what is your past? If you were to put your name in this list, I was what? I did what? I used to what? Think about that. Think about what Jesus saved you from. And for some of you, it's not going to be about the past. It's going to be about your present. I'm doing this. I am this. I need to be rescued from this. And whatever that thing is for you, I want to make it really clear. There's good news for you. Just like there's good news for me and for everybody else in this room. In the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. You see, in the Lord, you are not bound to your past. You're made a new creation. God doesn't clean up the old version of you as best he can and set you loose in the world. The Bible says he makes a new version of you. He makes you a new creation. He puts a new heart in your chest. You're not chained to, to your past, to your wrongdoings, to your mistakes, to your poor decisions, to the cruelest things you've ever done, your most disreputable actions. He did, you're not chained to any of that. You're made new in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the whole reason that he came. Remember, Steve told us about that in Luke chapter 19 the other week. He said, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus did not come to earth. He didn't leave heaven and come to earth to find religious people and congratulate them on their religiousness. Jesus did not come to earth to find perfect people on giving, and, you know, and give them pointers on being more perfect. Jesus came to earth to spend his time with the worst of people, with people who are trapped in darkness and sin and shame because that's what God does. His whole purpose on earth was to come and find people in the darkness and to show them the light. Now you need to remember your past does not exclude you from the love of God. The Bible is very clear about that. It says that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing in, on earth or in heaven can keep you separate from God. God is unwilling to be kept apart from you from anything. Your past does not exclude you from the love of God. Your past qualifies you as somebody who needs the salvation that he offers freely, just like all of us do. Because every saint, every person who follows Jesus comes from something. You are not out of place in this church. You are not out of place in the body of Christ because of anything you have ever done. The things that you did 15 years ago, the things that you did last week, the things that you did this weekend, the things that you did this morning on the way in. There's nothing that excludes you from the love of God because every saint has a past. And I think the third thing that Mary would want for us to know is that every sinner has a future. In Christ, every person on this earth has a future. Now, remember when we met Mary a second ago? And remember when we talked about how there's nothing in the Bible on accident. Everything is significant. 
I want us to look back at how it was worded when she was introduced to us. So we'll bring this up on the screen and you can just look at the very end of it. It says, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Mary, from whom seven demons had come out. I think that's an odd way of saying that. To me, that's not how I would say it. It seems kind of roundabout. It's probably not how I would put it. And I don't think that is on accident. You see, when we're introduced to Mary, the way it's spoken in Scripture, we're introduced to her by her name and her salvation. See, I would be more tempted to say, yo, this is Mary. She used to be possessed by seven demons. I don't know that I would include that in my initial introduction, but you can believe at some point, I'm going to bring it up because that's crazy. And that's how I would say it. She used to be, a, she used to be addicted. She used to be this and that and the other thing. She used to be possessed by seven demons. But then God did something cool, right? But that's not how Scripture does it. Scripture leads with salvation. You know, this is Mary. She is free from possession. She is made free from these demons. She is made free from her past. And that's the same way that God thinks about you. Our God is so focused on shaping your future. He's not worried about damning you for your past. See, we have to remember that Jesus found Mary, not cleaned up, not professional like we found her. He finds her possessed by seven demons and totally messed up with her story already written. And he steps in and he changes what was supposed to be a sure ending. He changed it. He turned it on its head in a moment. Has anybody ever seen the movie The Revenant? Same. Nobody ever saw that movie. I don't get it. It was long. I kind of under, understand anyway. So if nobody ever saw the movie, you definitely didn't read the book, right? Because nobody reads books anymore. All right. So the movie The Revenant is based off of a book called The Revenant, which is based off of a real story. It's a man named Hugh Glass. And I'm going to ruin it for you because if you didn't see it by now, you weren't going to see it anyway. So Hugh Glass, he's on this, uh, he, he's on this big trip. Uh, it's he's in like the 1600s, 1700s, something like that in early America, out in the wilderness somewhere with a big group of people hunting and trapping and doing all that kind of thing. He gets attacked by a bear and he almost dies, but not quite. So the company that he's with, they bandage him up so that he can heal up, but then they have to move on to, you know, whatever they got to do next, right? So they move on, and they leave two people behind with Hugh to make sure that he is uh, taken care of, and, and he gets healed up. So those people stay with him. Everybody else leaves. After a day or two, those two people decide, I, I'm getting out of here. It's dangerous. Uh, he's going to die anyway. We're out. So they rob him of everything that he has, and they leave him there to die. And the whole story is how he lives, and he travels through the wilderness, and he survives all these different things, all with the intention of, I'm going to find this guy who took everything from me and left me to die and get revenge on him. And in the book and in the real story, over his course of his adventure, he kind of realizes, I'm, I don't need revenge. Like, I'm, I don't need this. This is not good for me. So he finds the guy eventually and he forgives him. Now, if you saw the movie, you know, that's not how the movie ends. Now, obviously, it didn't do very well with this crowd, but it wouldn't have done well at all with that kind of ending. So in the movie, he finds the dude and he kills him. And if you saw the movie, you would never know that the ending had been changed because it was so smooth. It just made sense. The Ori art, the story art, right to where it kind of ended up. And it did that because the person who wrote the, the movie, they read the story that had already been written. They read the story that had already been completed. And they decided, I'm going to change the ending of it. And what they did was they went back in the story a little bit and they changed little things all along the way. 
right? They took little things, little conversations, and they changed some of the words, little things about Hugh that they changed a little bit, little things about people's situations and circumstances that they changed. And slowly over the course of the story, they changed the entire ending and sent it in a whole new direction. God wants to do the same thing in your life. God can do the same thing in your life. Because I think some of you probably feel like your story has been written. It's been written, it's been published, it's done, it's over. You are inescapably moving in a direction that you may not like. I think some of you feel like you are inescapably moving towards divorce and there's nothing that you can do about it. Some of you feel like you are inescapably heading back into your addiction that you've already set yourself free from. Some of you think that you are inescapably heading towards eviction or the loss of a job. I think some of you are heading, maybe you feel like you're heading towards violence, towards the people around you or towards yourself. I think some of you feel like you're so quickly heading to nowhere and you're getting there so fast and there's nothing that you can do about it. But I need you to understand that God has a new story for you, written and ready to go. He sees where you are at and he sees where he wants you to be and he knows exactly how he wants to get you there. He knows the parts of you that he wants to change. He knows the things about your circumstances that he needs to change over and he wants to do it. He has it all planned out for you. And that's not just something I'm spitballing. That comes from scripture. That comes from the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has plans to give you hope and to give you a future. Hope where you felt like you would never have hope again in your life. A future where you felt like your future was written in stone. God has a new thing for you. All you have to do is accept it. Because here's the thing, God is not going to force that on you. You receive it, you accept it, and God does that work in you. But until you open yourself to it, he won't start. The Bible says the spirit of God is a gentleman. He won't force himself onto you. He says that he stands at the door of your heart and knocks and all you have to do is open. So at this moment right now, if we could all stand up here in that Montgomeryville, we can stand up and we're gonna bow our heads and we're gonna close our eyes. Uh, I really like the way that Ian explained it last week. He said, we're gonna have a private moment in this public place. This is a moment that you're gonna have between you and God right now. Don't be looking around. Nobody else is looking around. Just focus right now on you and the Lord. And there's two things that I want us to do in this place. The first is this. I want us to take just a moment. And if you feel like God has rescued you, if you think that God has rewritten your story, take a moment and thank him for it. Thank him for the new direction he's putting you in. Thank you for everything that he has done in your life. And pray that he will do the same thing here today at Montgomeryville today, online, anytime anybody is watching, that he is overturning somebody's story today. And the second thing that I want to do is in this place, if you feel like that is you, that you're living a story that you don't want to be part of, you feel like you're stuck I want to give you the opportunity to step out of that. I want to give you the opportunity to open the door of your heart to Jesus as he stands there knocking. I think maybe you don't understand what that means yet. I think you don't really know what Jesus is like and you don't really know what all, how all this works. But I think you know that you're so done, so overwhelmed, so tired of going through life on your own, trying to make it work, feeling so stuck like you're constantly going back to the same things. 
and you don't understand this whole Jesus thing, but I think you're starting to realize that it's real. I think at some point during worship today, some line that was sung kind of stuck to you a little bit. I think as you sat and you pondered and you listened, I think that God has done a little bit of a work in your heart and you maybe don't realize what that is, but I'm telling you right now, that's Jesus, friend. I mean it when I say friend. That's the Holy Spirit of God moving in your heart and all you have to do is open yourself up to it. And so what we're gonna do today, we're gonna pray together. And before we do that, I just want to give everybody the opportunity. If you feel that moving and stirring in your heart, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond and so that we know that we're praying with you. Will you do me a favor and just lift your hand into the air so that we know that we can pray with you. Nobody's looking around. Nobody is looking at you. It's not about you. It's not about anybody else. I see a couple hands over here. Amen. I see a couple hands in the back. Amen see a couple hands over here. Amen. Listen, we are celebrating because the spirit of God is moving in this place. The Bible says that when one person comes to know Jesus, that all of heaven stops what they're doing to celebrate. And if all of heaven can take a break from the presence of God to celebrate, we can celebrate in this place and at Montgomeryville. So right now we're going to pray together. And if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Jesus, Thank you for this chance to come and to be in your presence. God, thank you for everything that you have done in this moment in my life. And thank you for everything that you will continue to do. God, pray that you would move and you would change me and you would write a new story on my heart and you would make me what you want me to be. Father God, I thank you for everything that you've done in this place today, Jesus, everything that you have made this church to be, every moment that you have given us to be in your presence, everything that you have done in our lives and in the lives of everybody who comes into this place, God, we thank you. We pray that you would just rest your spirit in this place and in Montgomeryville, God, and that the people who have come to know you today would grow so rich and full of your love, Jesus. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this week. And it's in Jesus' name that everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.